This is a show for missionary disciples who worship Christ in the Eucharist and serve Him in their neighbor, for whom the words of the creed reverberate through their daily activity. This is a show for those like you and me who make the conscious choice to follow Christ outside the walls. We're through the Easter season. We're coming up on uh, Holy Trinity Sunday tomorrow, and that's what I wanted to talk about. I wanted to to explore the mystery of the Trinity and maybe poke a little bit of fun at the fact that this is the Sunday every year uh, that you're almost guaranteed to hear some small amount of heresy because it's such a difficult topic to wrap our minds around and to explain. Um, but this is not the topic we're talking about today because the Holy Spirit really kind of backed me into a corner and pushed this topic, put it heavy on my heart. And so we're going to talk about it. There are three things that have uh, just dominated my social media feed the last couple of, uh, of weeks, and, uh, and we're going to talk about two of them. The first is it's anniversary season, right? Everybody uh, got married in, in May and June, and if you weren't one of those, I apologize. I, I got married in May, and everybody's posting pictures of their wedding anniversary and, and posting gushy things about their spouse. Uh, the second thing is there are lots of posts about priestly ordination anniversaries as uh, priestly ordination and marriage season kind of overlap. Uh, and so a lot of my favorite priests uh, have, they'd never post about it themselves. Their parish posts about it for them and announces to us, uh, oh, so-and-so has been a priest for X number of years. Uh, and so that's been really kind of dominating as well. Uh, we're going to talk about this, uh, the, the priestly ordination and, and the effect that it has on the specific priest we're talking to today. Uh, but then we're also going to be talking about the promises that a priest makes to their bishop and what happens when a priest and a bishop disagree. Uh, this has been in the news an awful lot. Uh, we've seen it in the Diocese of La Crosse, but we've seen it in many more places over the last several years. And I think it's important for us to know uh, how we should approach that. So we're going to be talking today with Father Colin Parrish, who's a priest administrator at St. Anne Parish in Seattle, Washington. He's a sometimes artist and the guy who I'm absolutely positive Wes Anderson would cast as a priest where he ever put one in one of his movies. Father Colin, thanks for being with us. Yeah, dude, it's a, it's a pleasure, you know. So when is your anniversary? My priestly anniversary is on June 3rd. So uh, right around the corner. Yeah, right around the corner. Sometimes mixed up with June 4th because that's when I was ordained a deacon. So I can't, sometimes I forget the day, which, which one it is. But. So I, I want to talk a little bit about that day. We talk often uh, on the show with people about their vocation story, but I want to talk specifically about your ordination day and what stood out to you in that process. What, what are the big memories that kind of still stick with you? Yeah, it's a great question. The, actually like two of the, the interesting, the one that was more, if you, if you want to, if we want to start on like kind of like the, uh, I, my mind immediately goes to the emotional side, like which one was more emotionally impactful for me. Uh, first, you know, the, the, actually the diaconate was, um, I remember crying yeah. <laughs> a lot. Um, and with the priestly ordination, it, it was, it, it was a, it wasn't pro formas to stark of a word. It, it was more like, okay, this is happening and, and um, I'm going to be doing this, you know, uh, this, this, the ritual here. And um, I want to savor it, but, you know, but for some reason it was like, I, I still remember my diaconate more emotionally. 
Um, that being said, I remember more details from my priestly ordination mm-hmm. and more memories from that. With with the ordination to the diaconate, specifically as you're going into the transitional diaconate, this is kind of the point yeah. of no return in terms of discerning, right? Yeah. In seminary, you're discerning and they're discerning you all the way up until that point where hands are laid on you. And now it's kind of like, okay, we've come this far. We got to keep going, right? Yeah. And that, and we make promises. Uh, and, that, and those are promises I can't quite remember, um, like, because I usually focus on the promises from the, from the priestly side. Um, but yeah, I, um, I remember, I, I, I distinctly remember, um, like the, the one of the most moving things was, is like, um, there is a, uh, a chant that happens where, and it's a kind of a prayer of like almost of affirmation of the, of the individual man. And it's saying like this man, this chosen man, Right. And I can't remember if that's at the end of the litany or before the litany, but where the saints are invoked. Mm-hmm. But um, anyway, I just remember just getting hit by those words like, holy boogers, you know, that's just, <laughs> you know, just amazing. Uh, and uh, just feeling like this process is completed and I've been able to like say my yes, mm-hmm. like uh, give my affirmation of what the Lord has been doing. And you didn't grow up in the church. So, I mean, all of this was pretty new to you just in life in general. And now you're experiencing the fullness in some sense of that in this ordination. I, you know, I'm experiencing the, uh, I'm experiencing an introduction to a sacrament that is wild, you know, like there's no, um, and during a time in the church where, you know, the sacrament, I don't think is well understood or sometimes received for sometimes good reasons, unfortunately, mm-hmm. good people have good reasons not to accept it or feel connected to it, but sometimes also just ignorance or, or bad reasons. Um, uh, but the, yeah, it's like, so you're kind of going into the unknown and I, I mean, I don't really think that's different. For example, a married couple. Right. Um, but the, yeah, it was just, it, it was, was wild. I mean, Bishop Barron used to, when he was, he was my seminary rector and my Trinitarian theology professor. And he used to always say that like his favorite word for a priest was a mystagogue, mm-hmm. somebody who would lead by the hand, another person into the mystery. So having that liminal kind of experience, having one foot on one side and one foot on the other. In some ways, um, it's very much similar to marriage in in this lifelong commitment that you're making. In some mm-hmm. ways, you're better prepared for it because you have been working toward it and studying for it for a good length of time, whereas very often you get couples that may have been together for six months to a year and, and they're jumping into it, maybe not understanding all of the things that go into it. Uh, yeah. Earlier, you mentioned the term um, promises that you made at your ordination. Mm-hmm. Uh up until recently, I, I just assumed, like in marriage, uh, that the priesthood had vows. And I was told by, I think by Joe Heschmeyer, that actually um, that religious people will take vows and married people take vows, but the secular priesthood, the diocesan priesthood, make promises. So talk to us a little bit. What's the difference between those two things and how does that work out? I, I, you know, I'm going to be super honest with you. I cannot remember the difference between the vow and the promise, the distinction there. Um, I, there's a canonical distinction. I do know that. Um, and there's, there's a kind of a theological one. 
I, and I may have this backwards, but it was something, something around basically saying promises are before God alone and vows are before the church. Hmm. Um, but I, you know, your listeners should really take that <laughs> with a massive asterisk. So, so. I, I think it may be reversed because okay. the the, the vow is before God and before the church. The promise is to the bishop. Oh, okay. Right? Yeah. Okay. Oh, interessante. I wonder why they do. Anyway. So, yeah. I mean, so welcome to the diocesan priesthood. Sometimes, you know, we're rough and ready, <laughs> but we live it. Right. <laughs> So, yeah, but yeah, I mean, taking the, for example, taking my promises before the bishop, you know, the, um, you know, like, do you, you know, do you promise obedience to me and my successors? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it's like, it's a really, like, that's a really stark and interesting provocation, like a question to be asked. Um, you know, uh, it's, um, I mean, Catholics who take their marriage seriously in general, you know, like, to release, let the weight sink in, like, you know, until death to us part, you know, like I'm here to accompany you to heaven. Yeah. Right. You know, that's a really, um, you know, intense promise and, or a vow that's made. And the, with American culture, the way, like, I think that it, it can be easy to privatize that vow. Like mm-hmm. it's just you two. It's not seen within the context of community or a belonging with people like where, Hey, like my marriage is, for me but it's not about me and it's Mm -hmm. also supposed to be kind of uh really about other people in a lot of ways not just for my own children uh but also like my community even at the end of the marriage ritual there's a blessing in the new translation of marriage ritual where it says like you know the priest is praying over the couple it's like and may those you have welcomed into your home in their need welcome in you uh, welcome you into paradise Mm -hmm. Right. And so there's this communal aspect that's recognized there for the priests, though, it's much more clear, you know, still like, hey, these promises are for people as uh, and uh, as it's embodied, as they're embodied in Christ. Yeah. Or sorry, in the bishop. And so it's like and everybody's there, you know, and it's the whole diocese or represented in some way. And so it's like it's a really public thing. So I'm like you know, receiving the, you know, and I say, I do, um, you know, I was thinking to myself, like, boy, this could be like a really difficult, I do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I have some thoughts about that part too. And same thing with simplicity of life, which is the other vow that we make and, um, essentially not to be ostentatious in our lifestyle, having lucrative careers, um, which if you're in the, well, more and more as I'm realizing, like, I, I'm in a bubble because I'm in Seattle, right? right. Like, the, the, like the wider church in the U.S. is can be very different than what I'm used to. But I just couldn't imagine having a lucrative priestly career. That doesn't mm-hmm. make sense to me. Um, and then, you know, obviously the vow of celibacy, which is the one pe- most people are probably most familiar with. I had so. a priest who shall remain nameless um, who said to me, everyone thinks that it's the, the promise to celibacy that's the hard one. He said, the hard one is, for me, is obedience to the bishop and his successors. Because when you're getting ordained, maybe you really like this bishop who's ordaining you, but you have no idea who's coming next. Yeah. 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 And it's, um, <laughs> yes. Yeah. And you, 
And it's, and it, I, I don't know. I mean, it, I guess I, my analogies that I use in front of, for myself, you know, we just, we, we've had Archbishop uh, Paul H in here for like two and a half years, almost like three years or something like that. Um, and, um, uh, you know, it, it's, he's a very different personality from Archbishop Sarton. And so just getting used to that, like, and like, he, I mean, he would acknowledge the same, you know, he's, mm-hmm. um, I mean, he feel, I mean, I, I can't imagine like just coming in into a new place with a whole bunch. Priests are not easy to deal with. So <laughs> I'm not easy to deal with, um, and, you know, and I try my best to, to, you know, sand those edges down, but, um, you know, God bless him. You know, I, I actually, I really, but recognizing that kind of obedience that like is carrying over to him, right. This, you know, promise to the office of the bishop right, is really something striking, uh, and it's provocative. We're talking with Father Colin Parrish of St. Anne's Parish in Seattle, Washington. So let's talk a little bit more about this, um, the promise to the office of the bishop. I'm I'm intrigued by that idea, specifically when you you might have a a drastically different personality uh, with drastically different interests from one bishop to the next. I was in a place where the bishop was very liturgically minded and the one who followed him was not. And so it's not just about interpersonal relationships. There's actually some, some focus shifts for the diocese and how things. Concrete things. Yeah. Yeah. Concrete things that will affect your life. So um, without betraying any, any specific instance, let's talk about how do you handle things uh, in your interior life as mm-hmm. as you come up against these stark shifts, um, yeah, because that can be. I mean, that's hard for for the best of us to do, um, but in the responsibility uh, as priest and shepherd of souls, how do you see the best way to manage that? I, um, I, I, yeah. Let me just talk about it from my experience, like uh, because I I think one of the the va- the, the promises that I value most is obedience. Is you know. I do, I value that for a couple reasons, uh, really heavily. Um, and the most, uh, and the, in the background for why I value the promise of obedience, um, is because of the background I came back, I, I came from, um, you know, I, we could look at like the culture, um, uh, in America, whether it's in Seattle where I'm at or in Texas, right. Um, maybe, I don't know, rural Texas and West Texas or something like that. Like, what are the differences and what are the similarities? Um, you know, the, the differences are the value sets that people have stock in, right? Like, what's, what's the good life? What is the thing that is most worthwhile living for? Uh, those, those can be very different, at least on the surface. But the way of thinking about values and the way of thinking about life is the structure of thinking, the method of thinking is absolutely the same, right? Like, so, you know, some, somebody was joking with me saying like, you know, I had a buddy come here from Texas and to Seattle and they were like, man, it's just so weird because I don't see all the fundamentalists and they're like, oh no, they're here. They just don't have faith anymore, (laughs) but still, you know, have the same method of thinking. And so, um, because of that, there's like a hyper, well, because of that slash alongside this, I suppose, there's a very individualistic way of thinking about things. Um, 
where it's just me and what I think or me and what I feel. That's a more maybe prominent one, me and what I feel. And um, what ends up happening in that is, is that there is like, it's so hard to maintain connection from where I came from, mm-hmm. right? Like how do you maintain concrete, fleshy connection with people, right? Over the long haul, if uh, there's nothing bigger than my own wishes and whims. Um, and, uh, you know, so what ends up, what I ended up seeing was that at the end of the day, when you take out a belonging or community and that you're kind of obedient to, right. Mm-hmm. That you're, you're within, um, you're no, you're, you're not getting rid of like, for example, a hierarchy, right? Like you're actually just replacing an, a more clear hierarchy with a more secretive one. Right. And the secretive one is veiled behind my preferences and whims and ways of trying to not have value or whatever. Anyway, so I came out of this. And so the thing from the reason I value obedience so much is because for me, it's a way that I can verify that the grace of Jesus is actually real and in the world. Yeah. Uh, in, in, in like in flesh and blood people. And so in the, uh, in the, one of the epistles from St. Paul to Timothy, he talks about, uh, there's going to come a time when people will throw away sound doctrine and they're going to gather around themselves teachers that tell them what their itching ears want to hear. Uh, and so as you were talking about this idea of selfishness, uh, removing us from community, I think one of the dangers we have today is we find other people who have the same selfishness as us and we kind of tribe together, and in that, we can convince ourselves that what we're really doing is looking out for the good of community for people who share the exact same proclivities as we do, but we're still not really operating with the good of the community in mind, we're, but rather we're operating with our own selfishness that just happens to align with the selfishness of the per- person sitting next to us. I had not thought about it in that way. I think it was very clear. Um, and... Um... And, and along with that, for me, there is the beauty of being a Catholic is having a sacramentality about everything, uh, about the church herself and also ex- this life. Um, and like one of the things that I um, have really learned is this, um, and this, it, there's a couple of iterations that I want to mention about it, but... <clears throat> one of the most beautiful parts of my life was learning that I was like an adopted son of God, Mm -hmm. right? Like um, just having that Abba cry come out of me, you know, being able to really go to the the heavenly father. Right. And, um, but one of the things I quickly realized over different, for different reasons was, is that um, it's, like it, if God makes all of reality, if the Lord makes all of reality, it means that he gives me everything, right? He possesses everything. And even like the trials that he, uh, that are in front of me, he allows, right? And he allows, because so, he wants to rework them in my favor and have me come to know that I'm even more so can be, can depend on him as a good father, as a, a good heavenly father. So, um, because of that, and, and like how tr- how much more true is that within the context of His Holy Church, 
right? Where grace is explicit and divinity, the divine uh, is explicit in that um, amongst the human, with the human, through the human. And for me, I realized quickly because of these things and different trials I was going through that there's really no way for me to verify if I'm that I'm an adopted son of God if it's not through a concrete obedience. Hmm. And why is that? Because if I say yes to a concrete person in front of me, that I'm if I'm obedient to them, um, I'm verifying they're in the flesh. And, and I'm made of flesh too. I have senses, all of my information come through my flesh comes through my flesh, right? I verify in a really human way, which I need, that I'm loved by the Heavenly Father, right? Like that this other person in front of me loves me and that they are a sign and a symbol or a signpost to the Heavenly Father, in particular in the office of bishop, right? The, however, the next question comes out is like, well, what happens if they make the wrong decision? Yeah. And you're like, sweet question, because that's it's super <laughs> I was going to ask that question, but I was going to wait until the next break. But yeah, go ahead. Yeah, it's, no, it's super tough. But um, I, you know, I, I make an intellectual distinction, uh, which I think is true. So I don't mean intellectual to say like less important. Uh, but, you know, there's a difference between a doctrinal question, mm-hmm. right, uh, versus a pastoral question your decision, doctrinal decision versus a pastoral decision, right? Now, like a lot of times, like people can use the word pastoral in these kind of like super vague, gauzy ways that just maybe feels like a justification for doing what they want to do, you know, which is not what I mean by the word pastoral, but in the sense of saying an administrative, concrete decision about what is Jesus wanting to do here, right? Right. Or, uh, and you know, that like a bishop could make the wrong decision, right? According to the mind of Jesus, right? Not because, well, go ahead. Well, let, let's tie this back into marriage, right? Um, you said that part of marriage is that we accompany one another to heaven. And, and yeah. uh, as as a husband, and there are going to be times that I'm going to make absolutely the wrong decision, uh, but my wife will come along with me. And there are going to be likewise times that she makes exactly the wrong decision. But in my care and concern accompanying her to heaven, uh, we we walk that path together. And so when I hear the term pastoral, what I most think of, because I, I do know that there are people who kind of use it in a, in a way that glosses over rather than actually specifies something. But when I hear pastoral, I think of the good shepherd who, yeah. who is yeah. accompanying the sheep to the sheepfold, you as as their shepherd uh, are are walking with them to heaven in the same way that I walk with my spouse to heaven, and yeah, the same thing with the bishop that you're in his community and in his family, and this there's going to be disagreement and there's going to be times where there's um, decisions that have to be made, and yet it's still the process of accompanying the people of God. Yeah. And, and how, and for me, it's like, it comes down to this. Like if he makes the wrong decision, like, let's say he, it's like, Father Colin, I want you to go uh, and I want you to be the pastor of this retirement community. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, and you're like, now and anybody in, you know, would say like, that's probably not a great, great idea, you know, um, <laughs> and for, for multiple reasons. Um, 
However, um, we'll just categorize it as the quote unquote, the wrong decision. And yeah. I, this, you know, category uh, for the sake of argument, what's more beautiful for me? Uh, is it more beautiful that I, that I see that the Lord is able to love me as a heavenly father through my Bishop and his right or good, you know, right decisions? Or is it more beautiful for me to see that the heavenly father loves me by taking a wrong or in a, or a bad decision and reweaving it for my good and my salvation. Like what's more radical? Uh, so I have a, a funny story to go along with this. Um, when I was first Catholic, I went out to, to Clear Creek Monastery, uh, which was there in the Tulsa area, right around the corner from where I lived. And I had not had a whole lot of experience with monasticism in general, uh, much less with this specific monastic community, which is uh, very traditionally oriented. Uh, it's from the the French uh, monastic community. Um, Long time before, so yeah. yeah. I and, was just reading about them today, oddly enough. Keep going. So I'm there, and and I just brand new, brand new Catholic. So I still have very Protestant sensibilities. And um, I'm there, and I'm not having the greatest experience. I expected to have a, a wonderful experience, and it was just not so. Uh, and I was having these, um, let's say, judgmental thoughts about uh, the way that a certain monk was doing his job. Um, all of you who are listening in Tulsa, I apologize. I've grown so much. But I, I was having these judgmental thoughts about the way that this specific monk was doing his his assigned task. And I had this kind of uh, heavens open up, light shine down, revelatory moment that Maybe Father Abbott gave him this job because he needed to grow in it and not because he was good at it. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 just imagine like that's actually a really beautiful movement of the spirit, by the way, for you to be for just to have that vision for that too. Like, and just imagine, for example, like <clears throat> You know, obviously we're not talking about immoral decisions, right? That's a right. whole, that's a whole nother category, but still like the premise holds. Mm-hmm. Um, but nonetheless, like the, yeah, it's like the, the Lord can actually, you know, um, reweave everything for me, you know? And it just imagine the heavenly father saying like, I want Colin, you know, like to be able to know that he's a son, you know, in the, in, in his marrow. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and like, and because this individual's like making this decision that I don't like, or maybe it's even immoral, uh, I'll allow this to happen because of that person's freedom. However, I'm going to take this and I am going to da, 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 da with Colin, you know, I just want to know that, you know, yeah. I just want to see that work. And so nothing is off the table. Mm-hmm. And so, and that's like the promise of like Jesus's promise with this church. We're talking today with Father Colin Parrish, priest administrator of St. Anne Parish in Seattle, Washington, talking about those priestly promises and how to live them out and really the work that God does in our priests and in us when we obey. Uh, join the ongoing conversation over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at Outside the Walls. I want to know what you think. Don't go anywhere. There's much more to come right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls with T.L. Putnam.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, T.L. And we're talking with uh, with Father Colin Parrish. Uh, we're right here in the middle of the, the ordination season, where new priests are being ordained, and priests who have been around for a while are encountering and enjoying and celebrating their uh, their anniversary of priestly ordination. Uh, Father Collins is coming up on June 3rd, uh, just around the corner. I think that's right. Yeah, June 3rd. June 3rd. Charles Luanga. Ah, yeah. So, Because uh, June 4th was your, your diaconal ordination. Yes. So we're, we're talking about um, this, this promise of obedience to the bishop. And we've seen this in the news a lot lately, not only with the situation that's going on currently in lacrosse, uh, but it's been around probably the last six or seven years. It's been in the news a lot if you know where to look. Uh, and so this is something that I really wrestle with because for me, for you, obedience was the big thing. For me, humility and docility were one of the big things that for me coming into the church. Uh, paragraph uh, 87 of the Catechism, the hearing um, the words of Christ, he who hears you hears me, the faithful receive with docility the words their pastors give to them in various forms. So for me, that was a big safety net was knowing that um, that my job was to be humble. That was it. My job is just to be humble and to trust that God's going to move in the way that he's going to move in. In some sense, it's reminding me and taking a definitive choice to say, I am not God. I'm not the one in charge. I'm the one who gets to stand back and see the mighty acts of God unfold without my intervention, right? That, that God's going to do what he's going to do. He's going to part the Red Sea. He's going to, to show forth his mighty acts in all of creation without my interference or meddling. And so I, I see this as a sign. You, you talked about it as a sign of God's grace. I see it as, as a sign that something that's happening is an act of God. When I see humility in the midst of, uh, of what could be perceived as being unjust, Right, we see this with uh, Saint Teresa of Avila, and we've got her um, her breviary poem painted on a, a mirror in our front room. Uh, let nothing disturb you. Let nothing affright you. All things are passing. God is unchanging. Patience obtains all things. Who has God lacks nothing. God alone suffices. This is the woman who was suppressed in her order, and who who thought that. Everything that she had worked for was going to be taken away. And still she said this and prayed this. And now we celebrate her life. We celebrate her accomplishments and what God did through her. Um, and now is a doctor of the church. And I think that one of the things that she is a doctor of the church for, in my personal opinion, this is not like official or anything, but is, is the fact that she could exercise that kind of humility and patience and waiting on the Lord in obedience even when we, people were telling her that she was wrong. Yeah. Yeah. I, and it's like those, it's that witness, you know, I need a witness to live. Mm-hmm. I need to be able to, to know that it, a witness, somebody who lives something like that beautifully uh, with life, even though it's, it's a horrible um, kind of sucky experience, obviously to put it mildly, like somebody who lives that with beauty, it shows me that there's a possibility of life. Mm-hmm. Right. So I can hear, you know, the fact that like, you know, the Lord loves obedience. Right. Um, 
I can know, for example, right, which I think is super important to affirm, um, that, you know, that basically like, hey, like the, the, the church is true, right? And Jesus speaks through this church. Is it actually true that Jesus speaks through his church and acts in his church um, in a concrete way? It, like those things are important to know, but unless I see a witness, like it, it can be really hard to live that. Like, and a witness opens me up to to grace in a new way. Like, well, not only you, but um, when we act in obedience, even in the face of, let's say that it's, let's say the bishop has it out for you. I mean, that's yeah. that's a possibility. Let's super- say that 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 there's some malice in this exchange. Yeah, like like just a just an immoral like yeah malice in the exchange if there's a vice there. yeah. yeah humble obedience is not only a sign to everyone around you of the grace of God it also serves kind of like that heaping burning coals that Jesus talks about in our forgiveness it, yeah. it can serve as that witness also to the person who is who is behind it um, yeah and I think that it this I think it all comes down to the fact that we have to recognize that we are not the ones who can bring about any kind of resolu- resolution to the situation, that ultimately it's the Holy Spirit's job and it's God's job. And if we operate in humility because he told us to, really we're being obedient to Christ above all, uh, yeah. even in this this unjust situation. Yeah, yeah. And and that in the, in the, in the injustice... I, I, I can only tell you this, like, if from my own story, like when I first became Catholic, um, uh, I don't know why, where this grace came from, this knowledge came from, but I had this weird presentiment, like presentiment, this pre, like, I don't know, pre-intuition that like, um, because the church is so like Christ's promise, the church is herself, Christ's presence, the sacraments, all of it are so precious to me, so close to me. I have this realization that it will be easier for me to be hurt from within the church than it will be from without, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Because these things are so close to me, right? They're so meaningful and true. And, um, And that it could be easy you know, to get sidelined by any given person in the church, et cetera. Right. Um, that being said though, right. Like I just had this like really kind of clear understanding that like, that Jesus saying like, Hey, this is my church. I will shepherd it. I shepherd it through these individuals. I will shepherd it with, you know, for good and for ill, mm-hmm. you know, and that uh, just allow yourself to be vulnerable to that, even when it's hard and, or very difficult. And that salvation is what like more life and more peace and more salvation or quote unquote, more salvation as it were, right. you know, is what you will experience. And I, I've never really let that shake, like go from myself. I've never sh- shook that awareness. Like, and so, yeah. We're talking with Father Colin Parrish uh, from from the Archdiocese of Seattle, Washington. Uh, I I think about these scenarios um, where where we are on the receiving end, uh, whether it be 
from the, the priest and his obedience to the bishop or whether it be we who are in the pew and just our experience with any kind of authority. When we're in the crosshairs, our desire is to find, to prove ourselves worthy, to find some kind of vindication, to prove to everyone, to gather supporters to our side, to tell us we're okay, to march arm in arm, uh, and to overcome injustice, right? That's, we, we have this natural desire to rise up and defend ourselves in the face of what we perceive to be injustice. Um, humility is a painful and difficult call to say, I'm in the, in the face of all this, I'm, I'm going to step back, I'm going to be humble, and I'm going to wait for, not even for other people to rise up and, and vindicate me, but I'm going, to, I'm going to wait for God to rise up and vindicate me in this situation. And as I'm doing that, I'm also going to pray and say, search me, O God, and know me. See if there be any wicked way in me. Because maybe there's something that God wants to draw out and show us about ourselves. You, you said a couple of times that God uses trials and he works, um, work, reworks them for our grace. Yeah. But I think that sometimes he uses trials and reworks us in his grace. So that's a great way of putting it. Uh, I, I 100% can go down with that, man. That's amazing. Yeah. Because um, how much, I mean, what, what is one of the most, for me, experiences, clear experiences of humility for me is when I actually gain humility or grow in humility, um, one of the things is, is I get from that, quote unquote, is clarity of vision. Mm-hmm. What is the truly important thing, like the one that actually has the most gravity and weight, the one that, in other words, the thing that's true. Mm-hmm. And and what happens for me is that I begin to see, <laughs> I, oh man, you know, like that my vision is, is super cloudy. You know, I got a kind of a spiritual glaucoma you know, um, in front of things and that, uh, and that, that as actually causing me pain, right? Like my, you know, sometimes sin is its own price and, and, uh, it's, or it's its own punishment. And so, and what ends up happening is I do get reworked Mm -hmm. right within the trial to see what is, you know, what is true. And, and, you know, and, like, and there's the in-between stuff where it's sometimes it's like 20% I'm at fault, quote unquote, and the 80% they're at fault, whatever. It doesn't, you know, but regardless, even in that, I come to an affection even for the other person. Yeah. You know, and also for myself. So, yeah, I would totally, in my experience, that makes, yeah, that resonates. So one of the other things that I think is really important for us to talk about, sometimes we get carried away, right? We... We get into this process, we get a certain amount of the way down the road, and we think, well, I'm all in now. I've already thrown in my lot. I just need to finish this through to the end. And the truth of the matter is that it's never too late to pursue humility. Like we could, you could be, you could be selfish and prideful and boastful uh, nine tenths of the way through the journey. And there's still time and still opportunity for us to humble ourselves. And to re-pursue community and communion. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, like you were saying earlier, it's like that I'm not God, you know, like this, this awareness. Um, you know, the, the, the thing that I think about is the... Um, 
the Lord is so much bigger um, than, you know, my, my, my heart, like my existentially speaking, my heart is bigger than any given circumstance, right? No circumstance, no matter how perfectly it ends up, is going to perfectly satisfy me, mm-hmm. right? The outcomes. Um, my heart's bigger than that. My, my heart is bigger than the universe in a certain sense because I have a soul, you know, I have, a, I have this infinite soul, like soul that's made for infinity, for God himself, for the, you know, for the beatific vision. And God is bigger than that. I mean, quote unquote, you know, and if I am aware of the fact that the Lord loves me, then it may be possible that, you know, like that he could do anything, even in the place of um, my wrong, right? Um, that, he, that he can bring out beauty and grace and truth from anything. Um, I don't know. I When it comes to humility, what makes a person humble? What takes a person out of their pride? What takes me out of my pride? Like grace, man. Like and I like grace and and, and a purity of heart. Um, I think some sense having a, a clarity of what really matters. So going back to the patriarch yeah. in the Old Testament, you've got uh, Joseph who's sold into slavery and decides, well, if this is my lot, I'm going to be the best slave I can be. And then as a slave, he gets accused of a crime he didn't do and thrown into prison. And he says, well, if this is my lot, I'm going to be the best prisoner I can be. And all of that. He could have said, God has abandoned me, but really God was fulfilling the promise that he planted in him way back in the dream uh, Mm -hmm. and bringing him to that place through his obedience in less than stellar circumstances. Yeah, I I really think about like what, I don't know, maybe it's just me. This is how I think about it. What's my pain threshold? You know, like... I like I uh when I'm proud like things really get put on my own back mm-hmm. and I'm carrying the world and dude and, and I'm just not enough for that um and the Lord has allowed me to slip and fall with that and and it's been a grace and I and I and it was at that point that I realized like man I'm hurting you know, like this, this is horrible. This is too much. This sucks. And like, and that's what really kind of gave me this kind of um, costly humility. Yeah. You know, ideally humility wouldn't have to be so costly, but. Last question I have. Um, We see this all the time when uh, our favorite priest is in some way not given the attention or affection or, or due that we think that they're owed. Um, that we take take up an offense on behalf of our priest, uh, sometimes at their behest, sometimes without their asking for it at all. Uh, and we want to rally for their sake. Uh, for the most part, we've been talking about our part as an individual when we're wronged. But what would you say as a, a, a shepherd of souls to those people who would rally around the cause of someone else who they perceive as is receiving the brunt of this. Everybody desires justice, right? It's a natural desire, right? Um, 
That being said, when it comes to justice, um, we have, just like the rest of our desire, it, there, there, there's an infinite quality to it. Um, and what is that thing that is going to like really bring about the answering of that infinite desire? Um, and that is the Lord, inviting, inviting the Lord into this, like asking the Lord to answer my need for justice. Um, and when I begin to invite the Lord into my need for justice to happen, that's when things get interesting. We've been talking with Father Colin Parrish, priest administrator of St. Anne Parish in Seattle, Washington. Uh, sometimes artist and the guy West Anderson would cast as a priest if he were ever to do so. Father Colin, thanks for being with us. Awesome. If you missed any part of my conversation with Father Colin or you want to go back and listen to it again or share it with your friends on social media, have no fear. All of our episodes are archived over at OutsideTheWalls.com. While you're there at OutsideTheWalls.com, up in the top right-hand corner, there's a link that says support the show hyphen Patreon. Our Patreon support community helps keep us on the air week after week. And in gratitude, we give them extra segments. This week's extra segments, about 20 extra minutes of conversation with Father Colin as we talk about some specific milestones in his life, coming into the Catholic Church, discerning the priesthood, and how he felt uh, and what scenarios he feels most like a Catholic and most like a priest. It's a, a great conversation. Uh, go take a look uh, outside the walls.com. Click that Patreon link to learn more. Well, now let's go ahead and turn our attention to our weekly readings from scripture and from church history. That's the sound of the Verbum Library launching up. Verbum helps you study scripture in light of tradition with the mind of the church. You can learn more at verbum.com. Our reading from Scripture today comes from the book of Romans, chapter 8. Brothers and sisters, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received a spirit of adoption through whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if only we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. That reading comes from the book of Romans chapter 8, and it speaks to precisely what we've been talking about today. This is coming from uh, the readings on on Sunday, on the Solemnity of the Most Holy Trinity. Um, this is where the rubber meets the road, Right? We who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. We have to be open and our ears open to hear the voice of God leading us into difficult places because we did not receive a spirit of slavery that we would fall back into fear. And again, fear is the place where this pride comes from, that I have to be in control. I have to uh, work for my own vindication all of this comes out of a fear that God does not have our best interest in mind. But we've not been given a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but a spirit of adoption that we can put our trust fully in the hands of our Father, knowing that we are his heirs and co-heirs with Christ, if only we suffer with him. Christ didn't bring about his own vindication, 
uh, he was glorified by the Father through the cross and then brought to his resurrection. And to tell you the truth, our victory almost always comes not only through the cross of Christ, but also through the cross that we must carry as well. Today's reading from church history comes from the letters of St. Maximilian Kolbe. And it, it, I found it in the breviary on his feast day out in August, but it really is the perfect reading for today and for today's conversation. The burning zeal for God's glory that motivates you fills my heart with joy. It is sad for us to see in our own time that indifferentism in its many forms is spreading like an epidemic, not only among the laity, but also among religious. But God is worthy of glory beyond measure, and therefore it is of absolute and supreme importance to seek that glory with all the power of our feeble resources. Since we are mere creatures, we can never return to him all that is his due. The most resplendent manifestation of God's glory is the salvation of souls whom Christ redeemed by shedding his blood. To work for the salvation and sanctification of as many souls as possible, therefore, is the preeminent purpose of the apostolic life. Let me then say a few words that may show the way toward achieving God's glory and the sanctification of many souls. God who is all-knowing and all-wise, knows best what we should do to increase his glory. Through his representatives on earth, he continually reveals his will to us. Thus, it is obedience, and obedience alone, that is the sure sign to us of the divine will. A superior may, it is true, make a mistake, but it is impossible for us to be mistaken in obeying a superior's command. The only exception to this rule is a case of a superior commanding something that, even in the slightest way, would contravene God's law. Such a superior would not be conveying God's will. God alone is infinitely wise, holy, merciful, our Lord, Creator, and Father. He is beginning and end, wisdom and power and love. He is all, everything other than God has value to the degree that it is referred to him, the maker of all, and our own redeemer, the final end of all things. It is he who, declaring his adorable will to us through his representatives on earth, draws us to himself, and whose plan is to draw others to himself through us, and join us all to himself in an ever-deepening love." Look, then, at the high dignity that by God's mercy belongs to our state in life. Obedience raises us beyond the limits of our littleness and puts us in harmony with God's will, in boundless wisdom and care. His will guides us to act rightly. Holding fast to that will, which no creature can thwart, we are filled with unsurpassable strength. Obedience is the one and only way of wisdom and prudence for us to offer glory to God. If there were another, Christ would certainly have shown it to us by word and example. Scripture, however, summed up his entire life at Nazareth in the words, He was subject to them. Scripture set obedience as the theme of the rest of his life, repeatedly declaring that he came into the world to do his Father's will. 
Let us love our loving Father with all our hearts. Let our obedience increase that love above all when it requires us to surrender our own will. Jesus Christ crucified is our sublime guide toward growth in God's love. We will learn this lesson more quickly through the Immaculate Virgin, whom God has made the dispenser of his mercy. It is beyond all doubt that Mary's will represents to us the will of God himself. By dedicating ourselves to her, we become in her hands instruments of God's mercy, even as she was such an instrument in God's hands. We should let ourselves be guided and led by Mary and rest quiet and secure in her hands. She will watch out for us, provide for us, answer our needs of body and spirit. She will dissolve all our difficulties and worries. That reading comes from the letters of St. Maximilian Kolbe. And here, I think he articulates perfectly that, first of all, obedience is our way to give God glory. Second of all, obedience is the way that brings salvation and sanctification to others. Uh, that We didn't even get to this point as we were talking with Father Colin, but most often when we are uh, seeking to, uh, to vindicate ourselves when we are wronged, the, the main goal is for our own glorification. But the witness of obedience and the witness of humility in the midst of injustice or perceived injustice um, is, is what would give God glory and what draws people to God. Because here's the thing. Um, if we are truly being oppressed, God is our salvation, and he will come and vindicate us. But it's also possible that we've deceived ourselves and that the situations we find ourselves in aren't really unjust at all, and that humility is the path for us to find wholeness and healing. So whatever the situation, whether we are truly in the wrong or whether we are truly being wronged, Humility is the answer that will bring glory to God and serve as a witness to all the people around us of God's goodness. And his spirit testifies to our spirit in those situations that we are not slaves who have to be afraid of whether or not God's going to come through for us. But we can rest assured as his spirit witnesses to ours that we are his adopted sons that he will care for us as a father cares for his children. That's a lot of topic to cover today. Um, but I want to hear from you. Come join me over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at outside the walls. If you feel comfortable sharing it, why don't you tell me about a time that you found God's grace given to you through your act of uncomfortable obedience? That's all the time we have for today. Today's show was brought to you by Tina and Phil Parker and all of those who support the show on Patreon. Go over to OutsideTheWalls.com, click that Patreon link, and join their numbers. And until next week, let nothing disturb you. Let nothing affright you. All things are passing. God is unchanging. Patience obtains all things. Who has God lacks nothing. God alone suffices. <laughs>